0: Thank you so much for joining us this week at Zion City Church with teachings from Pastor Andrew Ryell. We believe that God still speaks through His Word and His people. So right now, lean in and listen to the Holy Spirit. We hope that this message encourages you, inspires you, and brings you into a deeper love and worship of Jesus. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of Zion City Church. Good morning, Zion City Church. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're so happy that you're here. And we just wanna encourage you just to lean in right now as we come to God's word and see what he has for us here this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that you're speaking and you're moving and you're doing what only you can do, Lord. Even now, in the circumstances that we find ourselves in, Lord, and and having to be online, I know that you're speaking. I know that you're moving. I know that you're healing people, God. I know that you're showing up in powerful ways. And we know that you're going to do that here again this morning. So we come with a heart posture of faith, God, believing you for beautiful things here this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I want to let you know something this morning. You have a purpose. Right there, right where you are now, God has created a purpose for your life. Every single one of us wrestles with the fire in our belly that we were born for something more than life as usual. We were made with a longing to have a life lived well. As much as the culture tries to tell us that uh, what will make us happy is a cushy job, a strong 401k, vacations twice a year, a big house and nice cars, we know that we were made for something more. You see, you and me were born for a life of consequence. We were born for a life of consequence. You see, we daydream about a life filled with meaning and intentionality. And we know intrinsically that we were born for more than the American dream. Every single person was born with the dreams of God buried within them. But this begs the question, what is your purpose? In conversations that I have with a lot of people, this is one of the number one things that comes up time and time again, is what is my purpose? What is my calling? And for us to discover this, we have to go back to Genesis. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, sorry, verse 27. So God created Mankind in his own image in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them God blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number Fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground verse 29 then God said I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to the beasts of the earth, and to all the birds in the sky, and to all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And the, and there was morning, the sixth day. Your purpose in this life is to actively partner with God to cultivate the potential of the earth to create a beautiful future. Let me say that again. Your purpose is to actively partner with God to cultivate the potential of the earth to create a beautiful future. There in Genesis, the the, the writer of Genesis tells us that we were made in the image of God. Now, it's not language that we use often, but essentially this idea of image has twofold meaning. One, as God's representatives. You and me were made in the image and likeness of God, meaning we were meant to represent Him to His creation. I like what one scholar says. He says, we are the Creator's representatives to His creation. The second fold of that for us is to be made in the image of God is for us to rule. God not only made us as his representatives, but as his rulers to steward over the creation and to create something beautiful. And we see that mapped out there in our text with uh, continually using words like rule and have uh, to, to rule and to be over and the words of image and likeness there in Genesis 1. From the very beginning of things, the Bible calls us as humans to partner with God in His work in the world. And the Bible calls this work. This act of ruling for us is work. Now when I say the word work, a million things come into your mind right now, right? Some of you love your jobs. And when I say work, you get excited about the potential projects, the different things coming up, some exciting things happening in the coming weeks, whatever. You get excited about your job. For others of you, I have just reminded you that your weekend is almost over, right? And you're slowly making your way back towards work. And for you, it might be a great sense of anxiety or dread, like time is slipping away and I have to go back to my job. Because many of you work to live. What you do simply provides a paycheck for you. And when you hear the idea of work, a weariness settles in your soul. This is not the Bible's vision for work. The Bible's vision for work is this, to bring order and beauty for the good of others. To bring order and beauty for the good of others. You see, in Genesis 1, we see God's creation exploding and coming to life. And that is work. That whole first part of Genesis is all about God working. He's bringing order out of chaos and is creating a world in which humans can flourish. Genesis chapter 2, as the story continues on, it says this, By the seventh day... God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating all that he had done. You see, we are given the same task of working, of partnering along with God in the world to continue the creative work. If you if you notice the language that, that that God uses there, it's He creates this world for us and then He gives things over to us for us to use like the word subdue and rule to have dominion over. God gives us creation to steward and cultivate something beautiful. He gives us the earth teeming with life and potential, and he tells us to steward it well. We see this when a painter is staring at a blank canvas with a palette of color. We see a blank canvas. He sees a beautiful masterpiece lying within. You see, we see this when a carpenter is walking through the woods and he stands before an oak tree. We see just a tree in the woods. The carpenter sees the kitchen table he and his family will share meals at. You see, we see a musician when he picks up a guitar and we see chords and woods, but he sees the potential for a song that will lift a weary heart. The potential of something depends on whose hand it's in. You put a guitar in my hand or a paintbrush, you are getting nothing beautiful, <laughs> right? You're getting some fifth grader work or something like that on, on a, a masterpiece. You're getting the same three chords on the guitar, right? Uh, depending on who's hand it in, whose hand something is in, it depends on its potential. And for human beings, God has given us the earth. With this great potential, we have sent people to space, built skyscrapers, created some of the best food in the world, right? We've written beautiful songs and stories and captured some of the Earth's most precious moments through the lens of a camera. But also, we have dropped bombs on one another, subjected each other to slavery and racism, wars, We've stolen life and destroyed cities and ruined God's good earth with our careless living. The potential of something depends on whose hands it's in. You have been given a purpose. To actively partner with God to cultivate the potential of the earth to create a beautiful future. The only question is, what are you going to do with it? Now you might be wondering, What on earth does this have to do with 1 Thessalonians, right? What on earth does this have to do with our passage? Absolutely everything. Look at what Paul says. He says this. He says, Now, about uh about your love for one another we do not need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by god to love each other and in fact you do love all of god's family throughout macedonia yet we urge you brothers and sisters to do some to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life The Thessalonian community right here is being encouraged by Paul because they are modeling a life touched by the gospel of Jesus. They are a community saturated by this radical message of God's great love for us. You see, the defining mark of a community is Love the defining mark of a community of Jesus is love Jesus says in John 13 35 by this We will know that you are my disciples. They will know that you are my disciples if you love one another this Thessalonian Community was a family embedded in the life of self-sacrificial love and radical hospitality. So much so that here in our text, Paul says that all of Macedonia is hearing about their great love for one another and that anybody who would travel through would be lavished with their hospitality and their great love. He also makes mention that they are taught by God that Paul didn't have to instruct them in this kind of certain love, but rather it was God naturally doing the work that he does when someone's life has been touched by the Gospel. You see, when a follower of Jesus has encountered the life-changing love of God, the only natural response is to then love others as they have been loved. What is beautiful here is Paul reminds them that they did not need to be taught by Him, but rather they were taught by God. You see, for many followers of Jesus who struggle with cold, being cold and hard, uh, hard and critical, I often find it's not because of bad theology or a lack of solid Bible teaching. It has nothing to do with the structure of the service or how many small groups there are, but rather it is a lack of an encounter with Jesus. When someone finds himself operating in a heart posture that's not loving towards others it is usually because they have not had an encounter with jesus notice what's said in first john four sixteen. he says this and so we know and rely on the love we so we know and rely on the love god has for us god is love and whoever lives whoever in love whoever lives in love lives in god and god in them this is how love is made complete among us that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Ready? In this world, we are like Jesus. I love how the Apostle John describes a life touched by the message of Jesus. It is somebody who lives in love and is abiding in God's presence, and God's presence is abiding in them, and the outflow of that is a confidence about the future, because their lives look like Jesus. This is why we say at our church all the time, His presence changes everything. When you spend your life rooted in the love of God, God's presence becomes clear to you. And from that beautiful place of presence, love is made complete in us. And out of the outflow of that becomes a life more like Jesus. And this is Paul's Uh, uh, joy in the church in Thessalonica, and it is my deepest prayer for our church. That all of who we are and all of what we do is born out of this deep place of being marked by the presence of God. Now I want to encourage you, church, I think we're doing a wonderful job i always am filled with joy when i hear about the stories of radical love happening in our community and so i want to encourage you and say we're doing a great job but just as the apostle paul said i think it's time for us to take a step deeper uh, for us to step in more and more into this love now for paul What does it mean for them to step more and more into this love? What does it mean for them to go deeper into what God has already begun in their body? The main idea is this. To step deeper into love requires us to live in our redemptive potential by actively partnering with God to cultivate the potential of the earth to create a better future. Becoming people who love means we become people who work as followers of Jesus, we are to pursue good work with great love. We are to pursue good work with great love. I love what Paul says in Colossians 3, he says this, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever we do, church, whether we're a barista at Starbucks, right, whether we're a bank teller, whether we're a teacher, whether we're an astrophysicist, right, whoever we are and whatever we do, we do it as on to Jesus, right? That the our, what we're saying here is that our boss is actually the Lord and all of the work that we do is on to him. For God and the biblical authors, the work that we do matters, and how we do the work matters just as much. And so Paul begins to speak into the church of what this work, what this life lived, um, stepping deeper into love and stepping deeper into our redemptive potential looks like. He says this, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You see, many of you are on the quest in your careers and in your jobs trying to prove yourself. We live in a world fueled by selfish ambition. And the only way you get where you need to go according to the world is by stepping on and over the people around you. You are on this constant quest to prove your worth and your value. The spotlight must be on you and you must perform and then you will get finally what you long for. Acceptance, approval, love, recognition. But this is not the way the kingdom works. You see, the deeper into the love of God you go, the sooner you are liberated from having to prove yourself. The deeper into the love of God you go, the sooner you are liberated from having to prove yourself. Life in the kingdom looks like a quiet life. You see, Paul says here, make it your ambition. And a good translation of this is work as hard as you can to live a quiet life. Now, what is Paul trying to say here about a quiet life? Like, does he just want your phone to be on silent, right? And you not to speak as much anymore? No, he's speaking to the Thessalonians because what's taking place here in their church is that they are starting to get away from. From work because their 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 framework is that Jesus is coming any day now, so I'm gonna quit my job and just wait for him to kind of come back. And what it's causing is is a stir. There's gossip. There's busybody taking place. And so Paul speaking to them and saying, "Get back to work, right? There's still work to be done. Just because Jesus is returning doesn't mean our mission is changed." But Living a quiet life means you're not drawing attention onto yourself. You're not asking for the spotlight on you. You are somebody who walks in security and godly confidence. Now why is he telling him a quiet life? Because the world is loud. Right? We are constantly being surrounded by messages of what it, is for, what it is for us to live life in the best way. And we need to, as followers of Jesus, silence the noise and hear the Father's voice. Um, and for us to do that, it's going to take effort. What breaks my heart is I see people who are dearly loved by God fight and claw and scratch to, to, to rid themselves of this deep sense of insecurity that they have by, by running and chasing after other people's approval. But what often happens is even when everybody in the room is clapping their hands, they still feel like the fraud. Because what you're longing for is not the approval and acceptance of people, but the approval and acceptance from God. To live a quiet life means that you know you work for Him. As Paul says in our letter, you you, you serve, you live for an audience of one. It is Him you serve. So when you work, you no longer need the praises of other people because you know you already have the praises of the Father. So you right now, can rest from this pursuit of affection, attention, acceptance, and love because you are seen and you are loved. I love what Jesus says. He says this, My yoke is easy. My burden is light in the economy of the kingdom. You're not having to claw and scratch for the acceptance, approval, and adoration of the Lord. You are already loved. You are already seen. You are already noticed. You are already called and you are already being used. You live your whole life out of this belonging to God so that you can let others fight over the spotlight and so that you can live a life A quiet life of rest, joy, and peace, because you are loved by God. You see, good work with great love looks like a person living in the approval of the Father, which leads to a quiet life. When you are secure, when you are rest in the fact that God sees you, He knows you, He loves you, The net desire for the approval of man kind of fades away to the background. And all you care about is a life that delights the Father's heart. That when you work, you're not looking for the attaboy or the pat on the back, but when you work, you say, I'm going to do the very best that I can because I'm doing it for him. And even if nobody sees me, he sees me. He knows the work that I'm doing and he knows why I'm doing what I'm doing. And when you have that sense of security in your life, work becomes fulfilling, work becomes joyful. Because if you don't get the gold star and the pat on the back and the promotion, but you work is on the Father and you know he's delighted in you, then work becomes a place of joy, not a place of competition. The next thing he says is, you should mind your own business and work with your hands as we told you. Now when I think of this way that it's translated and Paul saying mind your own business, right? I feel like of a of an uh, of a grandpa or a grandma speaking to me like mind your own business, right? But what Paul is really saying here is it's important for these followers of Jesus to focus on their own story, right? To kind of mind their own business. Stop worrying about everybody else and work with your hands just as he had told them when he was with them. You see when you are too busy comparing your life to that of the lives of others, you will miss what God is trying to do in you. If you're looking at the person, the job that this person has, or the way that this person's got a promotion, or this person has this, or this person always gets that, and they get treated this way, when you're always so worried about everybody else, you're missing what God wants to do in you. Look, no good work has ever come from complaining, critiquing, comparing, or tearing down the work of another. Good work with great love looks like a focus on what God has for you to do. Brothers and sisters, stop worrying about other people's story and start living the one that you are in. Stop worrying about other people's story and start living in the one that you are in. The only way you'll begin to see what God is doing through you is when you stop looking at other people. And I feel like this is a profound word for somebody watching this morning. And you need to hear this. You are enough. You have enough. Now let's get to work. First, you are enough. You don't have to compare yourself to anybody else's story because God is already lavishing his love on you. Your story is gonna look nothing like anybody else's because God's made you unique and special with a divine purpose. And it's never gonna look like somebody else's because it's you. You're being uniquely who God made you to be. The next thing for you is that you have enough. All the time I feel like people are saying, I I would need more finances or I need more people around me or I need this, need that. And the list of needs goes on and on and on. But what you don't realize is right here, right now, you have everything you need to be to be who God has called you to be. You don't need what everybody else has because God has already appointed and, and coordinated things for your life. So right now in this season that you're in, you have everything that you need to be who God has called you to be. You are enough. You have enough. So the response now is, let's get to work. You will miss out on all the things God wants to do through you. As if you're trying to work and you keep looking at everybody else, the task at hand will never get done. And what needs to get done right now is what is in your hands. God knows what's in your heart. God has dreams that he's buried within you. But the key to unlocking the next step is being faithful right where you are now. And I know that maybe right now it's not the most ideal circumstance. Maybe you're not in your dream job. Maybe you're not where exactly where you want to be. But listen, this part is, it's really important that right here, right now, you be faithful because it's teaching you things about the stages that are to come. Now, I don't want you just to see this moment as a stepping stone because it certainly isn't. This moment here and now, it's formative for you. God is doing things in you right now that you're gonna to carry to the next season. So don't be looking so forward to what's gonna happen next or what everyone else has going on, but lean into the season you have right now to squeeze every bit of what you can get out of the season and, 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 and prepare yourself for the season that God has for you next. It's important that we stop worrying about everybody else's journey and start focusing on the journey with God. And look, the most mature, humble, thoughtful, loving people I've ever met are not worried about comparison. They are completely content with who God has made them to be and what God has called them to do. And it's out of that place of security that is born a life of peace. And they're able to, to, to be successful and to leverage the things God gives them because they're not worried about everybody else you are enough, you have enough, so let's get to work. Paul then tells them, work with your hands just as we told you. You see, working with your hands is a way of loving. You see, in that time, they would look down on people who would perform manual labor. We, But we know that every vocation matters to God you see we have in our minds like okay there are like spiritual jobs and there's like not spiritual jobs right so spiritual jobs are like a pastor a preacher a priest a missionary like those people are spiritual and then there's like the garbage truck driver the barista the whoever the teacher on this side of things right and they're separated but that's nowhere to be found in the scriptures You see, everything is spiritual according to the Scriptures, that all the work that you do matters. You see, my job, my work is no more kingdom work than what you're doing right now. If you're flipping pizzas, if you're frying burgers, if you're, you know, um, working retail, whatever it is you find yourself doing, your work is just as important to the kingdom as mine because God has appointed and placed you there to be His representative and to create beautiful things. And I know you're thinking a little bit pessimistically, like how so? A construction worker is not just somebody who's, who's laboring out in the sun. They're somebody who's building the foundations for a city to flourish. You see, a, a barista is not somebody who's just taking your order and making your coffee. They're perfecting the latte, right? To bring joy and gratitude to a weary heart. A stay-at-home mom is not somebody who doesn't work. They're actually cultivating the dreams of the future and the heart a child in their home. A manager is not somebody who's just dealing with difficult employees, but they are encouraging and leading a group of people to use their God-given gifts to flourish. All work matters. It's a matter of perspective. You see, when you are living in the reality of, of God's calling on your life, you will begin to see that all the work that you do is kingdom work. Your work is worship, it's how you honor Him. And Colossians says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. If it's you know, taking orders, if it's fulfilling orders, whatever it is that you're doing, it can be used for the kingdom. Paul goes on to say, so that your daily life may, res- may win the respect of outsiders. I love what Matthew 5.16 says it says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The way we declare the glory of God is not by making everything Christian or not just doing overtly spiritual jobs, but it's by making good things. I love what Martin Luther says, he says this. The Christian shoemaker does his duty, not by putting little crosses on his shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. We earn the respect of people outside of the family of Jesus when we do things that bring beauty into our community. If every follower of Jesus right now would take their work as such, this whole city would be turned upside down. If we began to view not our, not our jobs as just a paycheck, but as an opportunity to be using our gifts for the glory of God, our city would be turned on its head. We'd be producing the best stuff in the world. What really breaks my heart is Christian and cheesy are synonyms. Right? When you think of Christian movie, you think of poor production. Right? When you think of Christian music, you might think cheesy catchphrases, right? But the call of followers of Jesus is to create beautiful things because God himself is the essence of creation. He is creativity, and if we are made in his likeness, we are called to create. Now I know for those artists out there who are thinking, you know, I can't paint, I can't write music. God has uniquely made you with the gifts and talents that you have to be in the place that you are, making beautiful things there. This creativity is not limited to just the arts. It's limited to every aspect of life. And the way that we get the world's attention is not by putting verses on everything or a cross on everything or, or, or cheesy Christian catch signs on everything, but it's making the best things. As followers of Jesus, our um, bar of expectation should be higher than everybody else's because we do as everything is on to Jesus. So if you're a barista, your latte is the best in the whole store because you make lattes as on Jesus, right? If you're a manager, your crew is the best crew in the whole business because you manage as on Jesus. If you're a bank teller, your drawer is the best in the whole entire branch because you teller as on Jesus. If you're in construction, whatever it is that you're building or doing is the very best because you do it as on Jesus. As followers of Jesus, our bar for our work should be incredibly high because we work for Him and nobody else. I know that the bare minimum gets you by. I know that the bare minimum gets you out of trouble, but God is not calling you to the bare minimum. He's calling you to create beautiful things. Be invested in the work that God is doing. That's how we bring glory to God, is when we do things well. Paul then says this, so you will not be dependent on anyone. Figure out what you love, and then see if you can make a living at it. There's nothing wrong with getting paid for your work. I love 1 Timothy 5.18. It says this, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading up the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Now, all the realists in the room are crossing their arms and shaking their head if they hear this. But listen, you don't have to hate what you do. You don't have to be miserable going into work every day. God is placing a dream in your heart. Do what you love, and if you can, get paid for it. Do what you love, and if you can, get paid for it. Now here's what I want to encourage you. Be flexible, because this plan may not be how it is in your head, right? So if you really, really love kids, and you've always wanted to be a teacher, but man, school is not your thing. You know what it could look like? it could look like you starting a daycare. You're still able to educate and care for and love and nurture children, right way, without the big degree. If you wanted to be a musician and tour the world and play in a rock band or whatever, right, but it didn't really pan out, right, that could look like you opening up a music store and helping cultivate and create a passion in your city for music and for the arts. Be flexible. But I want to encourage our body too in this. Be willing to take a risk. God put a dream in my heart when I was 17 years old that I would see this city changed by the hope of the Gospel. And it was only by taking a risk and putting myself out there, right, and making sacrifices that we are here together. And God has rallied people behind this vision and He's opened doors and He's brought you, here and now, watching this live stream, to take part in what God's doing here because of a dream God has placed inside of the people of Zion City Church. Every beautiful thing is always born first out of a step of risk. I don't want you to be unwise here, and put your family in financial trouble or whatever, and it may be a season for you of sacrifice, where you're having to do two jobs at a time and you're having to really work hard, you know, to really open up these doors or whatever, but I want to encourage you. Your life is not meant to live you daydreaming at your desk about just getting out of work. Your life is meant to be meaningful. Find out what you love, and then do that thing. Now, I know some people are like, well, I don't know what I wanna do. I don't know where this leads. I don't know what my life is gonna look like. And nobody really does, but I think these are some important next steps for you. First is this, love God, love people, and listen to His Spirit. Love God, love people, and listen to His Spirit. The first step in any direction is this. Am I loving God? Am I loving people? Am I listening to His Spirit? If you're not operating in those modes, then chances are you're not where God wants you to be. To begin to be on the path, right? To begin to be in the place where God to begin to use you and form you and shape your story, you have to be first abiding in loving God and loving people and listening to His Spirit right? If your line of work contradicts with any of those things, then it's time to consider a new career. It's time to consider a new way of working, right? In your workplace, you want to be loving God, loving people, and listening to His Spirit. The next question I ask you is, what do you love? What are you passionate about? What excites you? What do you spend your days thinking about? Try to find something within that area. The next thing I encourage you is, what are you good at, right? Now, I like Love watching basketball and football, right? I love those things. But look at me. I'm not playing in the NFL, the NBA anytime soon, right? So it's not just what you love, but it's also what you're good at, right? I can love something with my whole heart, but not being, you know, six foot is really going to hurt me when it comes to athletics, right? So um, you have to also be good at it and kind of bring these into what do I love and what am I good at? Another question to ask yourself is what does the world need? What does the world need right now? God broke my heart for our city saying that this place needs a place for people who are burnt out and worn out in religion and people who don't know God. And so we planted this church. Ask your question is, is what you're wanting to do good for others? That's a huge part of of work and, and work is all summed up in doing things for the good of other peoples. You are seizing the opportunity that lies within, the potential that lies within the earth for the good of others. Is the work that you are in, or the work that you would do, good for others? The next thing I ask you is, are there any doors open? Have you even presented any opportunities or any, uh, any, any circumstances into which you could leverage that to be able to pursue the thing that you want to do? And the last thing I want to encourage you is with this, what do the people around you and who the people love you, what do they think about what you want to do, right? If if I told my wife that um, I wanted to be a painter, she would lovingly put her arm around me and say, honey, let's look at the drawing board again, right? Um, Because if you've known anything, stick figures are my creme de la creme, right? They're the best that I can do. And so painting is definitely not going to be my strong suit. But the people around you, if you share with them the dreams and the things that God has placed inside of your heart, they can usually offer great advice and direction for what the steps, next steps look like, and if it is a good idea. I say all of this to finally close here and say this. God made you for a purpose. And your purpose is to get the potential, to partner with God and bringing out the best of the potential of the earth to build a beautiful future. And the way that you do that is through work. Work is not something to look down on, something to be negative about, but it's an opportunity for God to be glorified in your life and for you to use the things God has placed inside of you to make beautiful things. And so we at Zion City Church want to do good work with great love. We want to do things that are bringing about good things in the lives of other people, and we want to do it with great love. I love what Paul says. Do it with all of your heart. We pray for you. Jesus, we come before you. And as we close this message today, God, I pray. To see all the new content coming from Zion City, follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. And to partner with us financially, visit our website at zioncitychurch.net.